Strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Rage. Presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Murray's going to score. Touchdown. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. The Red Sea is rising up. Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury. Buy low, sell high. Words to live by. 20 years ago, if only we'd all bought stock in Apple, <laughs> Amazon, and the NFL Combine. I did, Paul. 2004, Ron Wolfley, snarky guy, was the first year the NFL Combine was actually on TV. And you remember the reaction? <laughs> oh, you can't televise the Combine. <laughs> The Underwear Olympics? That's never going to work. Ridiculous. Uh, Hello. This year, more than 50 hours of NFL Network (laughs) Combine coverage on multiple platforms. Oh, my goodness. And all next weekend. In fact, Wolf, just go ahead and schedule your next weekend, Thursday through Sunday, okay? Right there on the NFL Network and streaming wherever you want it. You'll get it. Nonstop coverage of the NFL Combine after the first year where it lasted one hour. One grand total of an hour. And now, boom, here we go with the Combine El Grande. Paula, you do know that I went to the very first combine. No. Yes, the, I did. I know it you went to the combine. Right here in Tempe, the very as a matter of fact. First combine? The very first combine. Was your year? Was my year coming out. It was, Paul. I did not and know that. It was that. 1985. Yes, it was coming out. 19, yes, 1985. Yes, if memory serves, yes, it was because it was the fall. It was the spring of that year right there. And then the draft, of course, happened. So, yes, 1985, Paulie, I was at the very first combine in Tempe, Arizona. Mm hmm. Well, it's the Big Red Rage. Our uh, feature guest will join us momentarily. Drew Terrell, the Cardinals passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach, fresh off being the offensive coordinator in the East-West Shrine game for the East team. We've got plenty of questions to ask Drew Terrell coming up. But first, let's get into this combine a little bit. So, Wolf, you've been there and done that. This year, 321 players. By the way, do you know the school sending the most prospects to the combine? As a matter of fact, Paul, I don't. Michigan with 18. Okay, there are 18 guys. Michigan? What about Bama? They have like 10 or 11. Okay. U- UW is second with 13. Uh, the local schools, U of A has four. ASU and West Virginia and Cal all have a single player. <laughs> By the way... You had to throw that in, West Virginia. Yeah. You had to throw that in. Just to rub it in, Holy Cross is sending two, just to let you know. <laughs> Cardinals have 11 picks in this year's draft. They have six in the first 90. And uh, earlier this week on the Red Sea Report, Rob Fredrickson, former first-round pick of the Raiders and former NFL Combine attendee, here he was talking just about what's at stake for all the players. It's the biggest job interview of your life. And and for these guys that are lucky enough to be invited to the Combine, this is their chance to shine. 
Um, and it's it's not just on the field, but more of it is done in the hotel lobby, conference rooms, and in the meeting rooms with the coaches and the, and the general managers, players, uh, you know, going in there for one on one. Um, you know, so th- there's a lot that goes into it from the mental aspect. So it's the known versus the unknown, right? You can see, you can, you can go ahead and you can have all the data and all the measurables. Yes, but they want to know about the person yep. beyond the player. I would surmise. Paulie, it's so important that you go into the combine with your eyes on the tape, if you know what I mean. These guys, these scouts that go to the combine, of course, there's so many of them. They have watched real upon real, well, not reels. They've they've watched a lot of tape. Let's put it that way. Maybe Paul. an '85 was real. A ton, of, a ton of tape on these guys going in. They've watched. They've seen it all. You can never forget about the tape, as a scout, as a general manager, as a coach. You can never forget about the tape. I think the approach you should have going to the combine is let it confirm what you see on tape. Let it confirm that. There's a lot of guys that go to the combine and suddenly they look, oh my goodness, they run grade 40 times, their vertical is incredible, they bench 30 reps, whatever it may be, they they do everything that is great. If it doesn't add up to what you see on tape, you, you got you to pass. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of scouts and a lot of jams who forget to do that. All right, here's Monty Austin for last year because he's yet to address the media this year about the upcoming combine and the draft. But here's what he had to say the Cardinals GM just about what's most important from the talent evaluation and the player personnel aspect. The most important thing is the medical evaluations and having our doctors and having our trainers getting a chance to examine the players and just find out where they are physically. And really the second most important thing that I get out of this this is the face-to-face time when we interview with the players, um, both in the in the formal settings and the informal meetings that our coaches are doing. And then we'll get into the workouts as well. Those are important, but I'd, I'd put the medical and the interviews up above the, uh, the on-field workouts. Very interesting because I think you can take the Cardinals' two third-round selections last year as a case study, as an example of each instance. Number one, Michael Wilson. Yeah. The medicals. Three straight That's years right. at Stanford, this season was ended by injury, season-ending injuries, each of three years. And then you had Garrett Williams. He also was coming off an ACL injury. But for Garrett Williams, remember what he said at the Big Red Rage and our Jim Omohundro found the bite where the phone call that was made from the Cardinals' war room in round three last year to Garrett Williams, and they cited the meeting at the Combine, the 15-minute player interview, and just how... They vibed, how they synced up, how they were so impressed. In fact, I had a chance recently in an event to ask Monty Asabor and Jonathan Gannon about that. And they said he was the very last interview on a day in Indianapolis. And they were dragging. They had done 100 interviews. Oh, my goodness. 10, 12 hours. Who's the last guy? Um, It's Garrett Williams. (laughs) And he comes in and blew him away. They went from slumped in their seat to on the edge of their seat, and they said, wow. And when he left the room after his 15 minutes, yeah. they looked at each other and said, move him up the board. Yeah, and once again, Paulie, I'll say this right now. They had the tape in their back of their head, too. Is there is there interviewing this kid? They didn't just move him up the board because, you know, wow, what a nice kid. Right. What a great kid. Yeah. What great answers he was giving. They moved him up the board because they already had the tape in their head. And I think that is really what I'm talking about right here. The medicals, no doubt about it money that of course and the interviews that's great but so much of the time and and i think i think the last few years maybe the last three to five years 
the NFL, this this new age football was coming into the National Football League where it was the spread, and it was the spread. And all of a sudden, man, you know what? It's not nearly as important that these guys be as physical as they once were. Now it's important that they all can run. And that really took over, not just not just here locally, but also across the National Football League. A lot of GMs forgot because the game was changing. Now the pendulum is swinging back again to where you've got to blend the old and the new, and you better be physical. You better be physical. You better be strong. You better be able to tackle. You better be able to block. The line of scrimmage, once again, is back in vogue. And because of that, Paul, I really do believe, again, the combine, yeah, it's important, but not as important as the tape. Look, there are, the big question in the NFL right here, right now, is what's the future of Justin Fields? Is he staying in Chicago? Are the Bears trading him away? Are they taking Caleb Williams? Even Justin Fields today came out and said, man, I'd just like to know. You know, my future is blowing in the wind right now. It's tough. Are they going to trade me or not? And he's probably not going to know for a little while. For the Cardinals, I think the big question right now is, are they really going to go receiver at number four? <laughs> because we have yet another mock draft, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL.com 2.0, and he has a Cardinals going receiver, and it's not even Marvin Harrison Jr. That's right. Caleb Williams, number one, Drake May, number two, New England, and his mock draft is going veteran at quarterback. They take Marvin Harrison Jr., yep. and Malik Neighbors goes to the Cardinals at number four. Do you buy it, Ron Wolf? Well, first of all, Marvin Harrison Jr., you're telling me he's gone at number three, right? Yes. 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 So, you know what? Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I would tend to say, okay, Malik Neighbors, uh, maybe a bit of a stretch. Some people think he's a top 10 talent for the most part, and I certainly haven't watched all this tape on him at all. I've seen some highlights of him. That's what I've seen. I know he's wildly talented right now. Yeah, I could possibly see that because the Arizona Cardinals, they do have a need for a wide receiver. Man, the, the, thing, the best thing you can do to help Trey McBride as a tight end, is get a wide receiver that is a number one wide receiver, a true number one wide receiver, and bring him in. So, okay, Malik Neighbors, explosive, no doubt about that. I love the kid. But having said that, I certainly hope Marvin Harrison Jr. is there. And there are plenty of mock drafts that have the Cardinals taking Marvin Harrison Jr. at number four overall. But like Lance Zerline has Marvin Harrison Jr. going number three, and then the Cardinals selecting Roma Dunze yes. at number four. <laughs> yes. Another receiver. I just don't see that happening. I just don't. You if, don't. I do not. I if if Marvin Harrison Jr. goes three, then a quarterback falls to four, and I think the Cardinals cash that in. I think you're right on that, Paulie. And, and they continue to build from the inside out. And I'd love to see that too. Once again, buy low, sell high. We're talking about the NFL draft, the combine. Last year at Kansas City, there were over 312,000 fans who attended the draft. And the TV ratings were up 12% versus 2022. It just keeps growing and expanding. Join the Cardinals season ticket priority list at azcardinals.com slash priority list. All right, passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach Drew Terrell joining us next on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. into the end zone, middle of the end zone, pulled in by Wilson for a touchdown. I told you all from day one, you know, I watched his senior bowl and I was like, yeah, that kid knows, you know, he knows what he's doing. I could tell, you know, and then just obviously he had zero catches uh, two weeks in a row. And that's not, you know, again, not a real representation of, you know, what I think we could be. Now we'll get a full offseason under our belt. Uh, you know, I, I think next year, you know, Mike will have a big year. 
course Michael's going to have a big year. He wore the same number at Stanford as our guest tonight on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. You didn't think I remember that, did you? Drew Terrell, <laughs> Cardinals passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach, fresh off being the offensive coordinator in the East-West Shrine game. Drew, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be back on. And the old, uh, the old Michael Wilson thing. So you wore number four, and then he wore number four at Stanford. And uh, okay, all right, so there yeah. you go. He wore it better than me. <laughs> And we Can know I you, ask you though quickly, why did you wear number four? Did you pick that, or did they just give it to you? Uh, so originally, I wanted a single digit. I was a smaller body guy. I needed. I couldn't be out there in '87. Or <laughs> so, That's good. Uh, when I first got to Stanford, I was number nine, uh, which I shared with Richard Sherman. And then there was a game where Sherm and I were both on the t- on the same special teams unit, and they had to change my number mid game to four. Wow. And so I was just like, why don't I, I mean, I'll just keep four. Like, it's a single digit. It's closer to my high school number. I was two in high school. Um, so I was like, I might as well just keep four. And they're like, yeah, good idea. You can have four. Cool. So that is a col- That's a collection of personalities. Richard Sherman. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Andrew Luck. True yep. or false? Andrew Luck had a photographic memory or not. Come on. Did he really? Man, yeah. That dude was lights out. <laughs> Top-notch athlete, human being person, guy, teammate, he was he was top notch. Okay, so Drew, we got a lot of things we want to talk to you about and ask you about, of course, but we got to get some things out of the way as well. The Pac-12, what is going on? I mean, here you are, a Stanford boy. The Pac-12 is no more. Hurts my soul. It does, right? Uh, I grew up a diehard Pac-12 fan. I grew up a diehard Arizona State fan. Uh, to this day, I have Rose Bowl... Uh, 1996 Pac-10 championship and Rose Bowl photos in my house to this mm. day. A Pat Tillman fan, Jake Plummer fan, you know, knew all the players, knew where they were from, diehard. And and then to see what it's, I mean, what it's become is is unfortunate. You know, it's it sucks. Yeah, bums me out too. Yeah. yeah, Chandler Hamilton alum Drew Terrell is our guest. Okay, and we might get to the Jim Harbaugh stories a little bit later, but let's <laughs> let's get to the East West Shrine game. You're fresh off that. You spent the whole week out there. Just tell us about the experience and what was it like to be the offensive coordinator. Man, it was awesome. You know, selfishly for me, it was it was a great opportunity. Uh, you know, a development opportunity for me to. Um, you know, call plays, you know, have to coordinate an entire offense, you know, lead an entire uh, unit, you know, coach some things I haven't, uh, you know, I don't normally coach on a day-to-day basis, talk to O-line about combinations and, you know, tight ends about combinations and, you know, backtrack in the running game and uh, kind of do all those things in front of the group, which was awesome. Um, you, you know, they're not things, like I said, that I do in my day-to-day, um, but it was good. You know, script and practice, um, you know, coaching the rest of the coaches on what I want it to look like you know all those things are you know great practice for me because you know I have aspirations in this league to be a coordinator and be the head coach and you know the more you can get out of your comfort zone and kind of do things that you haven't done uh, prepare you for those opportunities so um, you know it was a great opportunity for me Um, you know I I thought it was outstanding and I took a lot of things from it. Drew of all those things you just mentioned right there that go into being an offensive coordinator what was the most difficult for you what did you like doing the most and what was the most the more difficult? Man that's a great question I think the thing I liked the most uh, well two things I liked speaking in front of the entire unit about uh, run game, pass game, protection. So you liked um, addressing the entire yeah. offensive unit. Yeah, it was just, it, it, to be honest, it was something that I was, 
you know, nervous about going into it because, again, it's not something I do in the day-to-day. You know, I talk to the pass game guys, talk to the quarterback every now and then. You know, those are things that have come natural. But, you know, in front of the entire unit where you're addressing, right. you know, certain things, it, it, at first I was like, man, I you know, I hope this goes well. And then it was literally – I told my wife, it was literally like 10 seconds before the meeting started. <laughs> I went in this, like, zone of, like, this is what I do. Like, I'm a, I'm a coach. Like, I – and, and the confidence know, started coming. Yeah, like was, this, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to get up there and tell these guys what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was that was you know a, a good experience. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the process of of calling the game, um, and you know all the all the things that go into that. It's you know it's tough. It's not an easy task. You know yeah. people. It's easy to sit on your couch and be like, oh, yep. why did they call that player? They should have done this. <laughs> Every fan thinks they can no call plays. Every fan does. But there's there's truly so many things that go into it. Um, I'm not going to get into all those things right now. But there's before each call comes out of your mouth, there's a million things in your mind about you know what you need to do. What effect is this play call going to have on the next one? You know, I, am I getting the right guy involved? Oh, I shouldn't have called this with this guy in there, or I should have got somebody else in there, or I hope our quarterback is comfortable with this. It's, you know, it's literally, you know, a plethora of things that just hit your brain all at once that you've got to kind of um, <laughs> calm your mind down and make, you know, educated decisions in the moment. Um, so I, I would say that was, you know, probably one of the more difficult things, but that also was one of the more I, difficult. Okay, but, but also something I enjoyed a lot. All right, we got Drew Terrell, Cardinals passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach on. So now you move on to the draft. Well, first off, you got to see these guys not only in the game, but more importantly, during the practice week. How yeah. valuable is that? You know, I, you know, I think it's extremely valuable, especially, uh, you know, throughout the week of practice, you get to interact with these guys in meetings mm-hmm. and, and see what the day to day with them would be like. Um, you know, there's a million more practice and meeting opportunities throughout the course of a year than games. So, you know, just being in those situations with them and, you know, coaching them and see how they respond to certain coaching styles. And, you know, if they can go implement things you're teaching throughout the week uh, onto the field and then just see how competitive they are. You know, you get to the practice periods, the competitive one-on-one periods, the seven-on-sevens, uh, the team drills, watch guys go compete. Um, and, and see how they respond to those situations. So I think it's, you know, to have a, a up-close and personal look, I think it's very uh, valuable. So did you have to write any reports for Monty Austin Ford and the scouting department yeah, so, on all these guys? Yeah, so our, our actually our head coach that was on my team, uh, Richard Hightower at the Bears, he, uh, he did a great job of compiling. So basically all the position coaches on either side went through and, and crafted notes on everybody in their position. And then HT co- collected it from both sides – uh, so I sent that to those guys. I just emailed the the PDFs or whatever over okay. those of everybody's notes. Hey, that, that's how the Cardinals stumbled on Michael Wilson to oh, a yeah. large degree last no year at the Senior Bowl. So Drew yeah. Terrell is our guest. When you watch film of college receivers, what do you look at first, or what's most valuable to you? What, what do you What are you looking for when you watch film? Because there's all these names of all these big time prospects associated with the Cardinals at number four. I don't want to get into specific names. But I'm curious mm-hmm. what you look for in evaluating a college receiver. Yeah, I think you know something that I that I look for is play speed. Does a guy play fast? And that mm. there's there's such a difference between play speed and time speed. Um, you can see guys that play with confidence and they're trying to get to a spot um, as fast as they can without any wasted movement. They've got no uh, fear of what the defense is doing. They're trying to get on edges and go fast and get from A to B, B as fast as possible. I think that really shows up on tape. And with Mike, that was something that showed up on tape. You know, when he's in press, he's getting on an edge and he's getting to where he's supposed to get too fast. 
because uh, I think that that trait always translates to this level. Um, ball skills, I think, is a huge thing. Does does a guy have the ability to pluck the ball away from his body with other bodies around him? I think that's another thing that translates to this level. These guys are used to, you know, especially if they're top players, they're used to having a great deal of separation in college. And when they get to the NFL, the guys are going to be that much closer. Closer, And, you know, it's it's not often that you've got three yards of space on a curl route or a comeback. Like, there's going to be somebody there. So can you extend and make plays away from your body? Um, if a guy shows that he can do that on his college tape, that's a skill that, that transfers to this level. Does a wide receiver in the year 2024 of our Lord mm-hmm. need to be a tough guy to play in the NFL? Yes, I, I think they do. I think you've got to have – you know, a great deal of, of mental toughness, probably more so than physical toughness. Um, and I think, like, if you're looking at a guy playing inside the numbers, I think if he can pluck the ball away from his body with people caving in mm-hmm. on him, he's mentally tough as well as physically tough. Because he knows what's going on around him, but he's making the conscious decision, <laughs> I'm attacking coming. this ball. And But I, I, I do think toughness is, you know, both physical and mental. And, you know, obviously the mental, you don't, there, there's elements of it, like I said, you can see on tape, but you've got to dig a little deeper to, yeah. and press guys' buttons a certain way over the process to see uh, exactly where their mental toughness is. And Michael Wilson made a lot of contested catches in mm-hmm. his, his rookie year. That definitely stood out. You know what else stood out? Uh, when Kyler Murray returned to the offense. <laughs> and we can go through all the numbers, but I mean, you know, points per game, Cardinals went from 28th to 13th. Net yards per game, 26th to 9th. Big plays in the passing game from 30th to 14th in the league. So what did you see, especially those last three games, when it seemed like Kyler Reese started to get in sync with the receivers and just the entire offense? What, 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 are, your, what, are, your, what are your thoughts based on the end of last year going into this season? Yeah, I think you, you see a kid, you know, when Kyler came back, you see a kid that's extremely talented. Um, his confidence grew and grew every week. Um, he's a guy that you can feel his energy on the field. Um, a great reference – um, that I heard a coach say, I can't, I can't even remember who said it, um, but it, it actually came when I was in Carolina when we had Cam Newton, and they said that's the type of guy that tilts the field. Like you can feel the energy that's going great. towards him whenever he's on the field. And Kyler has that type of charisma about him where, you know, you look out there at times and he has a look in his eye like he, you trust that we're going to go score points and that like that last drive against Philly, you knew we were going down and scoring to win mm-hmm. the game because – he just has that type of energy. He, he tilts the field. Everybody feels it. Everybody gravitates towards him. Guys want to play well for him. Um, he has that type of aura about him. And I think, you know, the more confidence he got in what he was being asked to do, you know, and the guys he had around him, um, I think you saw some of those things take off. And, you know, hopefully that, that, that transcends into the offseason and into next year, and I think it will. I think there's no doubt about it. This offense was evolving and mm-hmm. getting so much better at the end of the season in particular. The, the last four or five games of the season, I thought you could really see that. What do you think is the next step for the Arizona Cardinals offense? What do you think that might look like, Drew? Uh, I, I think – you know, it's gonna. You mean the next step in terms of what developing an offense and where it might grow and evolve? Yeah, I think we've just got to get you know the continuity of Kyler being out there. Um, you know, you get a guy back in the middle of the season and guys are kind of in a groove, and then there's a quarterback change, and you've all there. There's kind of a you know a reacclimation and an adjustment phase that has mm-hmm. to take place. Um, I think we can. We're able now to. Um, 
not get started from the foundation level, but kind of get into some graduate work in terms of the nuances of the offense. And, you know, you're not talking so much about day one problems, but you're talking about week 10 problems, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe uh, different defenses you face. And I I think there'll be a a natural evolution to um, the plays that, you know, he's comfortable with and and plays that we've got time on task of. I think um, all that will be, you know, ever evolving and ever growing. But, you know, to answer your question, I think just the continuity of, of him being under center and the guys around him knowing what he expects and, you know, what his thought process right. is on certain concepts yep. and things like that. Cardinals pass game coordinator, wide receivers coach Drew Terrell here on the Big Red Rage. Rondale Moore. What did mm-hmm. you learn about Rondale Moore last year and how big is this upcoming season for Rondale Moore? Yeah, it's you know like like all our guys, it's going to be you know a huge year of growth for Rondell just because, again, he he's getting used to our coaching styles, he's getting used to this style of offense, um, he's getting used to you know the things we're asking him to do, um, and, and I expect you know him to make a big jump. Um, you know, there's <clears throat> there's elements of the passing game and, and things like that. Uh, you know, we would like him to improve on, and he's worked his you know his butt off over the course of the year to uh, improve certain aspects of his game. And you know, I only anticipate he'll continue to grow. You know, he's a young player who's uh, the one thing about Rondell is he wants to be good. You know, he wants to be you know a top notch player in this league, and you know he's he's not afraid to put the work in. You know, Rondell, you go down there in the weight room, uh, he's in there almost every day. You know, even this time of year in February. Um, so he's willing to put the work in, and um, you know he'll he'll continue to grow and, and evolve. We only got a few seconds here, Coach. But the best drill at the combine for a wide receiver, what is it? Man, I don't know if I can answer that. In the <laughs> That's right. I think about that. That's one. okay. Yeah, the best I, something that you like to watch for a wide receiver. Uh, I like to watch the gauntlet drill because I think you can see how guys track and how effortlessly they pluck the football. I think that's a that's a good one. All right. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. you were a recruit at Stanford and Jim Harbaugh who had already offered you turned to you and said what when you were a high school player while you were watching them practice? <laughs> said, you think you got what it takes to make this team? You think you can play here? <laughs> I think so, coach. I think so. Worked yeah. out pretty well. Yeah. Hey, Drew, Drew we really you, enjoyed man. it. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate appreciate you, buddy. And we really look forward to this season. By the way, Trey McBride, anointed Wolf, the uh, run game blocking quality control (laughs) coordinator or something like that, because Wolf's so into, forget it, we were talking passing here in this edition. So that's good. And we continue with a Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Second down and 10 on the 26 of Arizona. Stroud takes the shotgun snap. Drops straight back, fires far aside, picked off at the 18-yard line by Antonio Hamilton. He jumped the route, jumped in front of the wide receiver. And C.J. Stroud has thrown more picks today than he had through the first nine games of the season. And the Cardinals have the ball back on their 18-yard line. Oh, they dialed it up as well. You got to be kidding me. They came after C.J. Stroud. Antonio Hamilton, man-on-man on the outside against Tank Dell and undercut the out route and made the pick. Three picks by the Cardinals in that game. C.J. Stroud threw a total of five all season. Remarkable, not just 
for the Cardinals defensive takeaways in that game but the entire rookie season for your NFL offensive rookie of the year CJ Stroud Antonio Hamilton one of many free agents for the Cardinals as they continue to pave the way into the future Monty Asenfort with his first full off season and now he knows what he needs knows what he has and we'll see what that means going forward it is the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert thanks again to Drew Terrell Cardinals passing game coordinator wide receivers coach and we'll see Hollywood Brown obviously a big name on this list Mm -hmm. Ron Wolfley and I think we'd all agree he was much better on film than he was in the box score (laughs) maybe just maybe that actually works to the Cardinals advantage in the offseason to some degree do you think maybe he's a sleeper he's a bit of an unknown or do you think these GMs are going to watch the film and maybe he gets a bigger offer than the Cardinals are willing to match yeah that's the question right now Paulie um I think he was making 14.2 million somewhere in that regard um you know for me right now I don't think this is just me nobody is giving me any type of indication but I don't think that there's going to be a massive market for Hollywood Brown. I don't think so because he didn't have great numbers last year. Yes, you got to watch the tape, but still, um, he didn't have great numbers. And because of that, I think the market's not going to be on fire for Hollywood Brown. And that gives me hope, Paulie, yes. that somehow, some way, Monty Austin Fort and the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray can actually talk to Hollywood Brown and get Get him back here. Maybe it's a one-year contract on a one-year deal, right? Because I love the thought of having Hollywood Brown over the top of Trey McBride and maybe whoever they take at number four, if it happens to be a wide receiver named Marvin Harrison Jr., I'd love to see Hollywood Brown over the top of those two guys in particular. Just saying. Look, we host Jonathan Gannon's TV show, and Wolf, you can agree or disagree, and I know you will, but every time he brought up Hollywood Brown or we asked him about it his respect for hollywood brown's skill set was genuine yeah and and he he reverts into his defensive coordinator mode and said those are the kind of guys who scare me because they can get loose behind a secondary we have to account for that sort of speed and and right now as currently constructed he's the one guy who's a true burner that can keep a secondary honest yes he is that guy and once again um This is a guy that runs as fast as he needs to run to catch the ball for the most part, right? And yet, Kyler Murray still has had a couple of balls that I know he wanted back because he overthrew him a couple of times that should have been a touchdown. Actually, more than that all season long for Hollywood Brown. I had four. I had four. You had four, yeah. I had four. I had five. I mean, it it was remarkable. It it could have looked much different between Josh Dobbs and, and Kyler Murray knocking off the rust, you know, and he wasn't available at the end of the the year when Kyler was finally in sync and the accuracy and the anticipation was finally back in full and that Hollywood Brown wasn't available because of injuries. So once again, maybe just maybe in the offseason that plays to the Cardinals advantage. And Paulie, maybe it takes a friendship yeah. to bring him back. Sure. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. We'll see. Okay, beyond Hollywood Brown, where do you go next? The list of Cardinals free agents. We Look, Antonio Hamilton by the end of the year was your best corner. He was your number one corner. Now in an ideal scenario, He's your number three or number four corner. Yeah, I, I know, Paulie. Look, these guys are a bunch of glue guys for the most part, and I was a glue guy, so I can actually say that. A lot of the names that are on here, guys who are pros, guys who are going to go out there and do their job. They might not be going to the Pro Bowl, but they're going to go out there and they're going to give you an opportunity. I I, I like Lecky Foe, too. 
I, I do. Now, once again, the injury situation, you've got to bring that into consideration as well. What I saw from Carlos Watkins last year, I really like that. Zeke Turner is a pro. This is a guy that plays so well in transition on special teams, and he's a pro. He can go in and get you out of a game if he's got to come in and be the weak side inside. He can do that and get you out of out of a game right there. But for the most part, those guys um, I really, really like and would like to see back. You know, do you put Carlos Watkins and L.J. Collier in the same category in that two veteran defensive linemen neither one got out of September but you and Pash called both their names quite a bit when they did play yeah you know LJ Collier um played really really well when he was given the opportunity to do it I was pretty jacked up about that combination but uh, Carlos Watkins I thought was more productive, mm. actually more <laughs> productive when he was given the opportunity to play, which really surprised yep. me. I don't know about you, Paulie, but it surprised me. Yep. It, it, and he was buried. He was buried in Dallas. They're deep on the defensive line. He really coveted a chance to shine and get some reps, and then he got hurt. LJ Collier, former first-round pick we had on the Big Red Rage. You heard how motivated he was yeah. last offseason going into the year. So if you can come back with one-year prove-it deals again? Yes, and there's one other deal, one other guy that I would like to see out there for the Arizona Cardinals. It's It's got a lot to do with his health, and I think you probably know where I'm going on that, but Jeff Swaim. Yep. Jeff Swaim, the mentality. Um, we were talking to Ben Steele, the tight ends coach right here, and he was talking about Jeff Swaim and the impact that Jeff Swaim had on that tight ends room just because of the pro that he is, because of how physical he is when he would play. And the insight that, it, that he was able to give a young Trey McBride was so valuable. So, I, you know, Jeff, if he's recovered from that ACL, I'd love to see him get the opportunity to go out and be re-signed. And look, the punter, Blake Gillikin, had a great year. Ended up number three in punting in the NFL and, and for gross punting average set a team record. So I'm guessing they're going to do what they can to try and make something happen there. We'll see about that. Uh, you talk to Monty Austin Ford every single week. Do you get the sense that he's the kind of guy who's going to make a big splash no. signing in free agency? <laughs> no, I do not, as a matter of fact. And I stand and applaud I really do. Now, there are some guys that are going to be game changers, but I think you got to really, really look hard and long as to who those guys are and to what degree they're going to change your game. How much money are you really going to give somebody? I don't know. I can guarantee you Monty Ossenfort isn't a believer in building teams via free agency. It's through the draft. So even if there's an edge rusher out there, even if there's a wrecking ball D tackle, Chris Jones, by way of example sure. right now, is a possibility. Um, no. No way. Okay, you're pretty definitive on that one. Hey, join the Cardinals season ticket priority list today. 2024 home opponents include the Bears, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Jets, the Lions, the Commanders, and of course the NFC West. Just go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. All right, let's talk about the Cardinals' second round pick last year next on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. 
handoff up the middle. B.J. Ojolari is there to grab Rodriguez at the line of scrimmage. Snap to Jackson. He's going to throw from the pocket. Looking in trouble. Wrapped up and thrown down for a sack. B.J. Ojolari gets his first sack. The rookie out of LSU gets a big sack here on Lamar Jackson. Closed on Lamar Jackson quickly and got the sack. That is big time by B.J. Heineke play fake. In trouble. Hits. And sacked by B.J. Ojolari back at the 10-yard line. A loss of about 10. Oh, that is a big sack. Back to pass goes Heineke with time. Now the pocket collapses, and Heineke sacked back at the 9-yard line. B.J. Ojolari having a breakout game with his second sack, forcing a punt. Oh, the rookie once again would not be denied. In the locker room, they were calling him Tusak Ojolari that whole next week as he had that breakout game. I think the question now is, could he follow in the footsteps of Trey McBride and be your breakout player 2024? It is a Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley, and Wolf. We don't agree on much, but we do agree that the 2023 breakout player for the Cardinals was most definitely Trey McBride. Yes. That's yes, not even close. Do. Not even close, Paulie. Uh, what about B.J. Ojolari as a candidate for next season based on what you saw in half a season from the second round rookie? Yeah, you know, uh, Paulie, I, I would agree with you right now. I think he's the the leader in the clubhouse in terms of my expectation for his improvement this year. I, I really do believe he's got everything you need to be an effective edge player, a very good edge player for a long time in the National Football League. How good? I don't know. There's so many things have to come into play right now. But I'll guarantee you what B.J. Ojolari experienced last season is going to build confidence in him. Though He didn't have a 14-sack season, as we all know. He had four sacks on the season. But I really thought at the end of the season, B.J. Ojolari really came around. And because of that, I expect him to have a very solid year number two. What that means, Paulie, and what that looks like, I do not know. But I do know this. The kid loves football and cares about getting better. And because of that, once you mix that with the fact that he's got the physical skills to do the job, my expectation is he's going to be a starter on the edge. Yeah, those four sacks in the last 10 games, he had six quarterback hits, he had a pass defense, he had five tackles for loss, he had 35 tackles. What would you think about him against the run? Because if there was one knock that supposedly, yeah. allegedly knocked him out of the first round into the top of the second where the Cardinals snagged him last year, was that, okay, maybe the run defense – wasn't quite NFL caliber, but what'd you think in watching him? Yeah, for me, for the most part, um, I thought BJ got better at that as well in terms of setting the edge. Um, and that's something you've absolutely got to have out of that edge player. He's got to be somebody that is physical. And I, I thought he got better at that. Once again, Paul, it's very similar to Trey McBride. Trey McBride is rookie year. You know what he looked? He looked a little unsure looked a little unsure of what it was that he was doing. I think you could say the exact same thing for B.J. Ojolari. He looked a little unsure as to what he was doing. I think year number two, he's going to be a lot more sure of what he's doing. And I think you could see how that helped Trey McBride 
And I think that's going to help B.J. Ojolari as well. No, that's a great observation because towards the end of the year, uh, Trey McBride did admit to the media that it was a confidence thing for him. And then once he started making plays, he proved it to himself. So important. And then Kyler started trusting him and their chemistry developed. So, okay, maybe you have the inverse of that with B.J. Ojolari. Here's his position coach, Rob Rodriguez, the end of this season when he was asked about the progress of the second-round rookie. That kid is, has had to work so hard, and people don't realize that's why rookies who come into this league don't just jump in here and start rushing the passer, because they need to learn how to rush with the proper angles. You can't just run around people in this league. You're not going to play a, a Division One AA team every four weeks and get, get a couple sacks. That's not how it works. You have to fight. You're playing against the best every week. That kid has had to get healthy. He's had to mature in this league, and he's had to learn those things. And it is a trial by fire. It's an uncomfortability for such a long period of time. Some guys can start to doubt themselves. This guy's had such a great head on his shoulders, and he's just worked his butt off. There you go. There it is, Paulie. You know what it did? He's got a great head on his shoulders right there, and he's got to work his butt off, right? You know what you need to be? Trial by fire. Isn't that right, Coach? You need to go ahead and actually be set on fire <laughs> and now all of a sudden you need to be melted a little bit and now you need to become malleable and then we're going to pour you into this and you're going to take the shape of the culture of this football team it is it is so obvious to me because everything that i experienced as a rookie this is what i think bj ojalari is experiencing as well and it all comes back to the confidence question. And I think his confidence will grow significantly. And when he looks at Will Anderson Jr., who was your NFL defensive rookie of the year, guess what? B.J. Ojolari was a notch behind Will Anderson in every single collegiate category over his three-year career. Those two guys in the SEC wreaked havoc. So maybe B.J. Ojolari, after having a shortened offseason last year, right? even some of his combine and pro day workouts were hampered by injury. Yeah. Then he couldn't participate in a lot of camp. That's my biggest question, I think, going forward, Polly, is can he stay healthy? And, and do they get him some help? Do, where do they go in the draft? Maybe they go, To me, if they go somewhere in free agency, it's either going to be edge or it's going to be corner. Maybe defensive tackle. Why do you tackle. say that, Polly? Why? Because there's two things in the NFL. Quarterback, get to the quarterback. Cardinals had one sack in the last six games, and it was when Justin Fields stepped out of bounds. So they obviously need to ramp that up. And I think that Jonathan Gannon knows that very well. He came from a defense where they led the NFL in sacks, and it wasn't even close. They had 70 sacks. So it makes me wonder, is Jonathan Gannon even running the defense (laughs) he wants to run? Yeah. Does he even have the personnel to run what he wants to run? That's and a so, great question, Polly. With 11 picks and 40 to $50 million to spend in free agency, I think they're, they have to improve outside linebacker, edge rusher, and defensive line. I'm just wondering, is Monty Ossenfort ready to do that right now? Is he ready to say, you know what, we are there. We're there. This, this draft class coming in right now and the, the free agents that we're going to go out there and acquire and sign, we're there, and that means we need to go out and we need to spend this money going forward. I, I wonder if he feels like that is a situation where he's going to push all his chips into the center of the, uh, of the table right now. I wonder when the Cardinals went into Soldier Field and you saw what Montez Sweat did for the Bears defense. It's what Chandler Jones did for the Cardinals years ago. You bring in that premier marquee pass rusher. It's sort of like, and I made this analogy, and I'll share this with you. It's when the D-backs finally got that closer. 
and everyone else in the bullpen took their role. Yep. If you can get that marquee edge rusher, yep. you bring that guy in, and the Bears gave up a high second round pick and paid Montez what a boatload of money, but he's in his prime, and he ended up being a 12 and a half sack guy. And guess what? The entire it, it was the rising tide that lifted that entire Bears defense the yeah. rest of the season. Well, there are certain guys from the Eagles, and a, he, they shall go unmentioned, of course, on this show. You mean a former Cardinal first round pick? <laughs> I'm just saying, who are unhappy, I believe. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> or at least uh, yeah, unhappy with his deal. So, uh, look, whether it's that, whether it's the Cardinals trade out of four and they go back to 10, 8 or 10 or 12, and then all of a sudden Alabama edge rusher Dallas Turner is there. I could see something like that. Look, there's no edge rusher, at least based on the current mock drafts, that is worthy of the number four pick overall. Right. Same with cornerback. Right. Or I think the Cardinals would definitely be a candidate for one or the other at number four. That's just not the case, which might, in my opinion, increase the odds they trade out and go for that defensive lineman or edge rusher more in the middle of the first round. Uh, Right. I I would agree with that, Um, as long as Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't sitting there, Paul. I mean, why in the world would you take a tree that is running in the secondary, take a tree, (laughs) and try to chop him down, Paul? Why would you do that? When Kyler would appreciate that tree running across the secondary. All right, here's a tree who can run. Zayvon Collins. Give me your thoughts on Zayvon Collins and what you think his future is with the Arizona Cardinals, because his contract situation hangs in the balance. Yeah, I know. First of all, listen, you know how I love Zayvon. I mean, we all do. Uh, The the guy is is an excellent, excellent dude, and um, a guy that I think needs to be returned to Mike Linebacker. I don't think the edge is where he belongs. And I don't think that is his future right now. And honestly, I don't expect him to have that fifth year here. Interesting. And you know what? If you put him back there with Kaiser White, that would be intriguing, perhaps. Who knows what the future of Josh Woods, Chris Barnes is exactly. Both are free agents. So, okay, something to chew on right there. Hey, the Cardinal Student Pass allows college students to get info on Cardinals internships, discounts, networking events, ticket offers, and more. Go to azcardinals.com slash student pass. Special thanks once again, passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach Drew Terrell. For Jim Omohundro, Cody Fincher, Ali Narini, Ron Wolfley, I'm Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. You've been listening to The Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price, right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. The Rage is brought to you by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.